Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Well, welcome again. I'd like to give a great big welcome to those of you that are joining us via our online platforms tonight. I'm glad that you've joined us. Again, to those of you that are here, it is so good to see your faces, and I'm glad to be uh, with you worshiping the Lord tonight. Uh, just a couple of quick things I want to say, just to recap on, on some of the announcements that you just heard, and, and maybe one that you didn't. And I said this last week, but um, we have started again praying on Wednesday nights. We, tonight we were in the, the, um, the teaching center, the kids' worship room, the, blue, the big blue room on the other side of the building. Um, I would implore you, in fact, I'm asking you, please, that's more important in this time that we're living in right now than the service, okay, that, that Christians be together and be praying. That is our authority. You know, we're hearing right now about police officers that, you know, they're, they're, they're asked to do their job, but not to use their weapons. And so what, you know, like what power do you have, right? And our weapon is prayer. Like that's what we have. It's the key to our authority and we need it more than ever. So please, if you could make that a priority, it's 6 p.m. on Wednesday nights. There's never been a more necessary time. And so please, if you can be a part of that in any way, uh, we appreciate it. Also, another thing I've mentioned it that happens monthly is that there's a, a, a prayer meeting slash Bible study. It's really more of a prayer meeting that's hosted uh, officially yet unofficially by uh, Mark Molinero, who's the county executive. Before the whole coronavirus, we would meet in his office monthly and we would pray. Leaders of the county would come together. Christians in the county, it was open to anybody, would come and we would pray. We'd pray for the county leaders. We'd pray for the first responders, the police departments, the churches, the pastors, the people, the citizens, especially the Christians. And, and now that Corona has happened, we've moved that to a Zoom thing. And so whereas before maybe you couldn't get there or you didn't know if you could come, now everybody can be a part of that. It's pretty much limitless. So I'm inviting you to be a part of it. It's usually the second Monday or Tuesday of the month. But if you do this, if you send an email to office at CCOHV, that's the church office here, and give your email and say, yeah, I want a link. Send me a link to that Zoom meeting. You will get an invitation that will know, let you know the exact time, and you can Zoom in on that prayer meeting as we pray over Dutchess County. And so just an amazing opportunity. It really is the strength and the weapon that we have. And so an invitation, I'm inviting you, please take it seriously. Don't let it pass by. Uh, this is our opportunity. This is our time. We're the church. We're the head and not the tail, and that's the key to our authority. Also, you heard about Sunday night. We're having a, a service here for the kids. Please, if you have kids, bring them out. You don't want to miss it. We'll be in the sanctuary. We can distance. It'll be fun. We're going to have music. We're going to do the surprise box. It's going to be glory. So please come on out uh, to that. Be a part of it. But now, for our Bible study, if you want to, I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 107 and Acts 27. If you need a Bible, get the attention of one of the ushers. They'll pass one to you. We'll read from Psalm 107 first. We'll read from uh, Acts 27. That will be the content of our message tonight. This is the third installment in this series that we're calling Wave Cutters, learning how to cut through the waves of life that would destabilize us. Uh, most likely, and don't hold me to it, we will have one more message in this message series next week 
and I'll give you the title ahead of time. It's called The Coming Tsunami, and you don't want to miss it. <laughs> you don't want to miss it because uh, we're going to talk about what the Bible says is coming. We're going to compare it to what is swelling right now, and we're going to hear what we should do about it and what we should expect. It's a hopeful message, very stirring, so I encourage you to come out Come out, those of you that are still at home, and also invite people because uh, there's a lot of people wondering about things like this at this time, and so you want to be a part of that. And so uh, tonight we're in Wave Cutters Part 3, and I don't think there's ever been a more fitting time uh, in human history to have a series like this. I think that if 2020 were a novel, it would be authored by Stephen King. (laughs) It's just been that kind of a year, and it's never more needed that we hear what God has to say to us about how to navigate without being swayed in the times that we're living in right now. And so we're in Psalm 107. I'm going to begin reading from verse 23. I'm going to read down through verse 30, and then we're going to pray and then get ready to turn over to Acts chapter 27. And so Psalm 107 verse 23. The psalmist declares, he says, They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths, their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Father, we thank you tonight, Lord, that you are the God who is over the storm and over the waves, that you're the God that brings us up and down and causes us to reel, that we might call out upon you, that you might cause peace and stillness and bring us to the place where we're purposed and supposed to be. And so we ask tonight, Lord, with this in our thoughts and your will to be done in our minds, Lord, we ask that you would anoint us to hear your message that you'd have for us tonight that you would speak to us personally, that you would apply this specifically and practically, and that you'd give us clarity in our vision, in our hearing, and in the direction of our lives in these times. So we ask you, Lord, that you would please pour out your spirit upon us now and anoint this message and these words in our hearts as we hear it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember the first time I saw uh, the quarterback, the great quarterback, Tom Brady, um, playing football. And it was very early in his career when he was kind of a second stringer, and he came in and he turned the world of football upside down. And I think that most people by now know who Tom Brady is. You've heard uh, his name. It's kind of a household name. And, and a number of years ago, he took on a nickname. People started calling him the GOAT. And I, I have to confess, I didn't know what that meant. When I first heard it, I just thought that maybe that like he was just very stout and the way he walked around the locker room, like, you know what I mean? Like if it was like an element of his personality, I didn't realize that it was an acronym, that it actually stands for something, G-O-A-T. It stands for the greatest of all time. And now I know that, and okay, now it makes sense, and that's a fitting uh, name for him. But um, how that applies to our Bible study is this. 
is that if we're going to talk about wave cutters and those that knew how to cut through instability, the greatest of all time had to be the Apostle Paul. And you can't do a series on wave cutters without looking at the great Apostle Paul because he probably was the goat when it comes to knowing how to do this and what this absolutely looked like. Now, for those of you that may be new, those of you maybe that don't know so much about Paul the Apostle or about the Bible, what you need to understand is that the Apostle Paul is the man who was responsible for the spread of the gospel across three continents in the early church days, the first century of the church. He was the founder and planter of many, if not most, of the first century churches, whether directly or indirectly, he was the one that was behind it. He was the author of one-third of the New Testament and just under one-half of the books by name in the New Testament. They were written by the Apostle Paul. And he is recognized worldwide in just about every sector, on every list that you'll see of the world's most intelligent people, somewhere in it or on it is the name Paul the Apostle. He was certainly a very great man. He was called an apostle but he probably should have been called an unpostle because he was unstoppable, unbeatable, undeterred, unafraid, and unbreakable. Unpostle. And so he is the best example that we can look at as a man who knew how to cut through currents. And as we read his story, his testimony, and follow his ministry, we can actually see the currents that he cut through. We see that he cut through the current or the wave of permission. In Acts chapter 9, verse 20, essentially the first day that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and commissioned for ministry, Acts chapter 9, verse 20, it says that straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God meaning that he received the authority that was given to him through his calling. And he didn't wait for permission from man to do what God called him to do. He moved directly into it, and he cut through the current of human permission, needed, needing permission to do it. Now, there are many people that are taken out by the current of permission, feeling like they cannot move forward in what God created them to do until they get permission from somebody, whether it be a college board or a degree next to their name, or they reach a level of education, or that someone gives them the green light or the go-ahead in order to do what God has made them to do. Listen, here's what you need to know, is that when you look at man for your permission, man will make you jump through hoops. But when you look to God who ordained you and gives you authority, he will give you help and you'll find progress in your pursuit. If you look to man, man will tell you to prove yourself before you can get permission. God says, provide yourself and I will move with you in the action. It's the hoop of permission. And listen, if you wait for permission to do what God has called you to do, you will never make progress. And Paul didn't wait for man's approval. Straightway, he did what God was putting in his heart to do, and he began bearing fruit early in his life. He lived by the premise that it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. 
And I think for a Christian, that's sometimes necessary. He cut through the current also, the current of promotion. We read it in Acts chapter 14. And we look at his life and we see that there was a moment where he began to bear fruit. People began to get healed. Things were happening. And the people in the region where he was serving lifted him up on a pedestal and began to declare that he was a god. And it's the current of promotion. And it's a very dangerous current because it's different from all other currents. Because it's not a wave that comes at you in opposition. It's a wave that comes from behind you. And sometimes it can almost seem like fun. Like, oh, I'm about to catch a big one here. This is going to be great. This is what I've been waiting for. But there have been many that have been capsized by the current of promotion that comes from behind because they get lifted up in pride and that wave knocks them over and they are tumbled. You can read about Saul in the Old Testament. He is one that was taken out by the current of promotion. Listen, the way that he cut through that current is that he showed the people that were seeking to promote him his humanity. He tore his robe and bore his scars, and he showed them that he was a man just like them. And it was his humanity that was a show of humility that caused him to cut through that current and not be taken out by pride unnecessarily. He knew intuitively that to receive honor from men was to steal honor from God, and he wasn't going to let that happen. And so he cut through the current of promotion. He also cut through the current of persecution. Now, ironically, it was the same group of people that tried to promote him that then turned around and tried to kill him. They dragged him outside of the city and they threw rocks at him and stoned him till they thought that he was dead. That's why you should beware of promotion because the same people that want to tell you how great you are will also kill you. It's just part of humanity. Now, this is a powerful wave, and Jesus told us that. He said that there would be many that would spring up quickly in their faith and in their testimony and in their witness and in their service, but that when persecution came against them, the current of persecution, that they would quickly be offended and they would fall away. Jesus said this was a very powerful current. But the Apostle Paul was not going to be taken out by the current of persecution. He got up and he went back into the city after being stoned and left for dead and he kept on going. And he lived by this secret. And here's the key to cutting through the current of persecution is that if you can learn to not put value in the applause of men, then you don't have to be moved by the fact that you're appalled by men later on. And he understood the importance of that. He also cut through the current of self-preservation. Now, this is an odd current because it's a wave that comes from within. We all have an inborn desire to preserve our own lives, to preserve ourselves. Now, how did it happen? In Acts chapter 20, Paul was dead set to go to Jerusalem to bring the message of Jesus to the Jews. And a prophet named Agabus took Paul's belt and he bound himself and he said, Thus saith the Lord, that this is what will happen to the man who owns this belt if he goes to Jerusalem. And it was a clear message to Paul that if he goes to Jerusalem, it ain't going to go well for him there. 
And here was Paul's response to that current or wave that was trying to resist what he knew he was called to do. He said in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he said that none of these things move me. I will not be shifted by this wave. Why? Because I don't count my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He would not allow himself to be moved by the instinct of self-preservation. He said, I belong to Christ, I will live for Christ, and I will do what Christ has called me to do regardless of what it might cost me personally or physically. He would cut through the wave of self-preservation. He also cut through another very powerful wave, and that is the wave of the intimidation that comes from powerful people. Paul was unmoved and unintimidated by the powerful presence of people that were in authority. He would stand before the high priests who had the authority of their position and the history of its substance, and he would stand boldly before them, unmoved by the intimidation that they sought to bring. He would be brought before the apostles who were the legitimate called of God, and he would have to give an account before them of his ministry. And he was so unmoved by even those that were so far over him that he says in Galatians that they didn't add anything to him, that he wasn't really impressed by who they were or by the title of their... It isn't that he disrespected them, but he knew what they were and he didn't put stock in position over his uh, calling. He stood before prefects and governors and kings and even the emperor because he received the authority that was given to him by Christ. And so he cut through the wave of intimidation because though he saw himself as nothing, he knew himself to be appointed by God. And thus he walked in the authority of a king even though he was held in the chains of a prisoner. He was resisting the current of powerful people. And then finally, we see late in his life, he cut through the current of poison. It's found in Acts chapter 28. It's in the final chapter of what's recorded of Paul's history. And we see that in a moment after being tossed and shipwrecked, he was serving in a venomous serpent, jumped out of a pile of sticks and latched onto his arm. It was the venomous beast, the Bible says. And it says that Paul looked at it and he shook it off and he kept on moving. And the people that were watching were waiting for him to swell or drop dead. And when he didn't, they thought, well, maybe he's a god, <laughs> you know, because he was unaffected by the poison. Now, listen, you and I in the Northeast, we don't get bitten by venomous snakes. <laughs> we get bitten by the kisses of an enemy. It's a different type of poison that we have to endure in the life that we live in right now. And that's the reality. And I'm tempted. I was so tempted to preach on that passage tonight and this whole concept of Paul being a wave cutter. And I wanted to talk about how, how affected, affected, and infected we can so easily be by the venom of a negative comment on a post or a presentation that we make or a dislike and how that can affect us so deeply. They didn't like it. They put a thumbs down. They put a scowl face emoji on what I so carefully posted, you know, and it can infect us, the venom of it. The venom of a new round of restrictions 
or infections or changes that are pushed upon us against our will, how that can affect us, the venom of it can get into us. The venom of overhearing gossip or a critical word spoken against us. I don't know if you have ever heard someone, they didn't know you were in the room and they said something about you. You know, and the way that venom can get in, it can affect you. The disapproval of parents or bosses or spouses and how the venom of that can get in and it can ruin your day and it can turn your mind over. The venom of an account statement that comes in the mail that shows that your balance is diminishing, that your investments are losing steam, that your retirement is diminished and not increased or a past due notice, all of those venoms that come, and many, 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 many more venoms that come, and the effect of it. And Paul, such an example, to just shake it off and keep going and be unaffected by the venom that was seeking to do something to him, to swell him or confuse him or stop him or set him back. I was so tempted to preach on that tonight, but I'm not going <laughs> to. not going to preach on that. Tonight, what I want to preach about, want to talk about, I want to talk about the wave that did get Paul. I want to talk about the time that the unmovable one was moved. The wave that not only got Paul, but the wave that no one can get away from. The wave that will affect you no matter how good of a wave cutter you might become or that you might be. It's the wave that God ordains, the wave of Psalm 107 the wave that causes your ship to reel to and fro so that you'll call out to him, so that he'll bring peace, so that you'll end up where you need to be, more importantly, so that you'll end up who you need to be. That's the wave that not even Paul could cut through. Nobody cuts through the wave that God ordains. And so I've asked you to turn to Acts chapter 27 because I want to show you this wave that, that, that Paul had to endure. Now, here's the background of the story so that you understand the context. Paul was told early on that he would stand before kings to give testimony of Jesus. He was not told that he would stand before them as a prisoner. Paul was told early on that he would see Rome. He wasn't told that it wouldn't be on a cruise ship, but rather it would be as a prisoner transport. Paul was arrested on false charges by corrupt means, and he was placed in protective custody because of those that wanted him dead. And he gave testimony in a trial before first Festus and then Felix, and then not finding headway with them, he appealed to Caesar. He wanted to stand before the court of the highest emperor of the land. Now, he didn't do that for protection. He didn't do it for justice or safety. He did it to get an appointment with the emperor to share the gospel with him. Paul was a great opportunist. And so the chapter, Acts 27, is a record of the journey following his trial before Felix and now the journey that would take him to Rome. And it's what happens when the waves overwhelm the wave cutter. Let's look at it. We're going to move quickly through the first 13 verses, and then we'll get into the substance in verse 14. So chapter 27, verse 1. It says that when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. So Julius is the correction officer assigned to Paul and the prisoners that will be on this ship. 
And entering into a ship of Adramiatium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go to his friends and to refresh himself. And so Paul builds a rapport with this officer who's conducting him on the journey. He wins his trust, and Julius allows Paul to go to his friends for refreshment, knowing that he'll come back, trusting his honesty. And then the next day, or I'm sorry, verse 4, and when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus, watch this, because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we were come to Myra, a city of Lycia, and there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us thereon. And so there's a transfer of ships at this point. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Snidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmon, and hardly passing it, came to a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now, when much time was spent, that's a polite way of saying wasted, and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already passed, Paul admonished them and he said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and the ship, the cargo, the goods that will go, but also of our lives. Now listen, if you string together everything that we read already in this passage, we've seen that the winds are contrary, they sailed slowly because the winds were bad, that they were hardly able to pass by certain islands that they needed to get around, and that they came into a season now where sailing was already dangerous. Here is the point. The point is that these were expert wave cutters, especially the Apostle Paul. He had already at this point been involved in several shipwrecks and had been lost at sea at times. He understood seasons, waves, and currents, and he knew how to avoid. He knew how to cut through. He was the goat. He was the greatest of all times. In other words, what's happening here is that Paul knows what's coming if we continue moving in the direction that we're going. And so the point is that there are times, listen, that no matter how experienced you are, no matter how much you understand, no matter how much skill you have, you cannot avoid what's coming. It's coming whether you like it or not. Now watch what happens. It says, nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven... Do you remember the, the verse in Psalm 107? Psalm 107, verse 30, it says that he brings them to their desired haven. Well, here's a haven they liked, but because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart from there also, if by any means they might attain to Phenice and there to winter, which is a haven of Crete and lies towards the southwest and the northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, so beware of the south wind blowing softly. <laughs> Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. Now here it is, verse 14. It says, but not long after, 
there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Euroclidon. Now, if that doesn't just sound epic to you, if that doesn't sound like the title of a blockbuster thriller, right? Euroclidon. If you're looking for a title of a novel or a movie, just take that. I love that word. Now, the word Euroclidon literally means a violent agitation. Or, and this is the biblical dictionary, a southeast wind raising mighty waves. They came into Euroclidon. Now, I love the word because to me, the way I remember it is I just, it's three words that sound like something to me. European cyclone megalodon. All right, and that's, that's how I think of this word because that's what it was. It was a European cyclone megalodon. You know, it was just massive. It was tumultuous. It was violent. And listen, understand this. There are storms. There are waves that are gonna come your way and into your life that you cannot avoid that are going to come because they are not electives that you could choose or somehow subvert, but they are requirements of God because he is going to do something in your life through the storm that he ordains or that he allows. It's going to come from him. Now, you have all heard, we have all heard of the eye of the storm. Remember that you know, little thing in the middle of a hurricane where everything is calm, the waves cease. You can see from the middle of what you're, what you're going through. It's kind of like that, oh my goodness, if I could just stay here, everything would be okay. Okay, you've all heard of the eye of the storm. So what we're going to see in the passage following is not the eye of the storm, but the eyes of the storm. It's the title of the message tonight, the eyes of the storm. Because that's what we need when we go through the storm that's coming. And there's two eyes in this storm. You know what they are? Insight and instruction. Insight and instruction. Because when we go through the things that we cannot avoid, that God is using for his purpose, what will get us through it, our anchor, in a sense, is going to be the insight and instruction of understanding what he's doing and why he's doing it. And what is clearly communicated in the passage that follows is the insight and instruction behind why God ordains and allows Euroclidon to come in our lives sometimes, whether we like it or not. And so watch what happens. It says in verse 15, it says, and when the ship was caught, okay, <laughs> it's caught, you're caught, you're not getting out, and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. In other words, we had a quick relief. We had a moment, an opportunity to strengthen the ship, to try to preserve what we had, which, he says in verse 17, when they had taken up, they used helps. I don't know what helps are, because I'm not a marine expert, but it was something to help the ship, undergirding the ship and Fearing then, lest they should fall into the quicksands, they strake sail, and so were driven. Okay, pause right there because I want you to see there are two things that happens here. Number one is that the first thing that they tried to do when they came into the storm is that they tried to control their path. 
They tried to control their way, navigate their own way through the storm. And it says that they were caught. It means they were stuck. They were trying to figure out how to do it, and they got stuck. And so the solution was, it says at the end of verse 15, it says that they let her drive. In other words, they had to let go of control, and they had to let the ship go where the ship was going to go, because if they didn't, they were not going to move. They were going to stay stuck in the middle of a storm. Then they came across this island where they had a quick moment to try something. And so it says that they used helps and they undergirded the ship. So this represents not controlling the situation, but trying to use what resources might be at your disposal to help you in the storm that you're going through. And so that could be things like calling your mom, you know, using your lifelines, trying to buy your way out of trouble, trying to talk your way or manipulate your way out of your situation or bribe your way or think your way out of it and all this, you know, thinking that there's some way out of this whole thing. I'm going to work the angles and I'm going to get out of this thing. But listen to what they said. They said, but fearing, watch this, fearing the quicksands, fearing the quicksands. Do you know what the quicksands are? It's where you get stuck. So they got stuck and they had to let go of their control. And then they almost got stuck. And so they had to let go and they let her drive. Here's the insight. It's point number one. If you're taking notes, don't get stuck in the storm. Don't get stuck in the storm. How do I do that? I let go of control. I cannot try to control what's going on around me or the circumstances that I'm going through right now in the middle of this thing, I have got to let God have control and trust him to move me through this storm. I can't get stuck in the quicksand. What is the quicksand? The quicksand is self-pity, self-sabotage, self-sandbagging. That means that you just go to bed and you quit. <laughs> you know, that, that I'm going to just cower. No, 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 no. You can't get stuck. You can't stop. The only way out of a storm is to go through the storm. And if you try to control it or you try to fix it, you're going to get stuck in it. And that's a dangerous place to be because you're going to lose the ship. You're going to suffer the damage and you're not going to end up where you need to go. You need to keep going. You need to get out of bed. You need to keep going to work. You need to keep doing what's in front of you to do. You have to endure the difficulty of it. You have to reel to and fro like the drunken man, like it said in Psalm 107. You've got to accept and receive the pain and suffering that's coming from the season that you're in as from God and not check out and say, well, I'm just going to quit God. I'm going to quit prayer. I'm going to quit church. I'm going to quit responsibility. I'm going to just run away and do what I want. You can't do that. The only way out is to go through the storm. It's a Euroclidon and it's made by God. Listen, it's a storm. If God wanted you dead, he would make you dead, okay? God doesn't want you dead, and he's not done with you. He has a purpose, and he's allowing you to go through a storm, and you'll be thankful when you get through it on the other side. So don't get stuck. Now watch what happens in verse 18. It says, and when we, being exceedingly tossed with a, te a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. Isn't it interesting to see the wave cutter being exceedingly tossed with a storm? And it says that what they did is that they lightened the ship. They had to get rid of some of the cargo. The word cargo is actually used in the Greek. 
Isn't it interesting how sometimes in life when things are going well, we can get a little bit top heavy? We can have a, a few more things in our life that we really can practically manage. You know, I, I learned this lesson a couple of years ago, uh, and I'm still learning it. And that is that sometimes we take on things in our youth that the l- less energy of old age can't support. <laughs> you know? And when we go through a storm, sometimes God's design, one of the things that he's trying to do is he's trying to get us to lighten the load. We need to unload some things. There's some things in our life that we've allowed in, uh, maybe an abundance of possessions, an abundance of properties, or an abundance of you know, hobbies or activities, things that are choking out what really matters in life, and things that really matter in life are starting to suffer and die and suffocate because of what we've allowed in. And sometimes in a storm, we get enough perspective to realize what those things are and what those are the things that got to go. They got to go. I remember when I had the appendicitis, I was living with a ruptured appendix. It, it did not, it was perforated. Okay, that was the word that they used. I mean, it didn't explode and kill me. It was just oozing out slowly. All right. And it was hurting me really bad. And I was in weakness for a long time. And there was like this thing that happened where God just kind of gave me a clarity to see what was going on in my life. And I could understand the things that needed to be unloaded. There was some cargo that had to go. And we have a tendency to do that. What's the point? Have a loose hold on the things that are extra. Watch verse 19. It says, then the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. Now, the tackling of the ship, that's different than the cargo. The tackling is the furniture or the necessities. And sometimes in a storm, some of the necessities have to go. Many of you are going through that even right now. You're you're a business owner, and you have had to let go of some very key and important employees or people that have been partners with you because your business can't support them at this time. They were furnishings. They were important. Some of you, you're watching your business go. You're letting go of your business right now because it's not going to survive or isn't surviving. Or maybe there's some other things that are are going on right now and you're having to let go of some things that are actually essentials in your life. But you know that if these things, if I don't just let them go, then I'm not going to survive the future. And so it's letting go of the tackling. Now watch verse 20. It says, And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared... And no small tempest or storm laid upon us. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Do you know what the significance of sun and stars is? Is that both things are a means of location and direction. He doesn't say the moon. The moon doesn't really matter all that much because it's so shifty in its location. But the sun is a constant and the stars are a constant. They let you know where you are and what direction that you're going in. And when there's neither sun nor stars, you cannot know where you are. And listen, listen carefully to me. It is the purpose of God that there are times that we go through things that we don't know and we can't know where we are, where we're going, or what God is doing. There is no way for you to know the answer to those questions. And you have two choices when those seasons and moments come upon you. You can either believe that God is good, God is in control, and that God is moving you somewhere. And if you can believe that, then you'll sleep at night and you'll have hope. Your other option is to not believe that God is good, that God is with you, that God has a plan, that he's in control of the situation, 
And the result will be that you will not sleep and you will not have any hope. Those are your two choices in that time. You will not get the direction or the answer that you're looking for. And isn't it interesting that even the Apostle Paul came to a point in a place where he had no hope and he thought, this is the end. I'm going to die here in this moment. You say, is God sadistic? Why does he do that? Why does God, why would God bring me into a place where I hopelessly am lost and don't know where I'm going? I'll give you the answer. In fact, I'll let Paul give you the answer who went through it. He was an expert on it. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He says this, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, human strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. I was hopeless and thought I was going to die. And we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Here's why. Ready for the golden answer? That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Listen, here's the reason why God will allow that to happen in your life, so that when you see his deliverance, Next time you're in a Euroclidon, you will have hope that he will yet deliver us from it. It's an amazing truth. Verse 21. It says, but after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and he said, sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not to have loosed from Crete and to have gained this loss and harm. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God has given you all them that sail with you. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me, howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. Now remember back in Psalm 107, the passage we read at the beginning? It says that they are tossed to and fro, they reel like a drunken man, they despair, and then they call upon the Lord. That's what happens here. You see, Paul is in this situation, and finally God gets a hold of him, and he takes the needed time to say, God, I need insight and instruction from you in the situation that I'm going through. And God comes through, and God gives it to him. In verse 21, what does Paul do? He takes a moment of clarity, and he retraces the steps that led into the storm that he's in. Listen, if you're in a storm or you go through a storm, you retrace the steps to know what led you into that storm. And he says, hey guys, we made a huge mistake back there when you didn't do what the Spirit of God was instructing. That was a bad move. How many of you in here that have kids or you're over the age of 25, still walk fast in the dark. Anybody? I think I have broken nine out of 10 toes, all right, before I learned that you cannot walk fast in the dark if you have kids, all right, because you're going to kick something. You instinctively learn from the pain of circumstances that you're in that you have to walk slow and careful and lead softly with your feet when you're walking in the dark. That doesn't include Legos. You are still going to step on Legos. They don't break things, but they hurt really, really, really bad. <laughs> Listen, 
What's the point? The point is this, is that you learn, after walking blindly into enough Euroclidons, you instinctively understand this is not a good way to go. Don't trust the south winds. You understand what I'm saying? Paul had the moment of clarity to realize to retrace his steps. You retrace your steps. What, is there something in what I've done that has led me into this place? What else? It says in verse 22, Paul says this. He says, now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. Here's another insight that you learn in a storm. You learn, okay, that life is greater than stuff. Life is greater than cargo and what you're carrying and what you're living in and what you possess. And sometimes you can't learn that until you've been in a storm that threatens your existence or your sanity or your future. And you can hold way too much value in the things that you have, but when those things become <laughs> threatened by a storm, when you become, your life becomes threatened by a storm, you put those things in perspective. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God has given you all them that sail with you. Now, I want you to understand something and just see it here because you can miss it if you pass over it too quickly. Listen, God visited Paul in the storm and talked to him there. He said, listen, you must be brought before Caesar. You're going to make it to Rome and you're going to get all, you're going to see all the people on this ship get saved. We're going to see that there's like 276 people on this boat that are getting saved because of what Paul's going through in this season and situation in his life. Now, listen, listen, think about it for a minute. God was with Paul right there on the ship, and yet he didn't stop the storm. Wouldn't that be what you'd ask for? <laughs> okay, Lord, you're here. You're here. I read about this. Say, wind stop blowing, waves stop crashing, stop this storm. He doesn't do that. God doesn't stop the storm in this. The storm is the will of God. Now, if God doesn't stop the storm in this moment that he meets with Paul, then that means that God must have a purpose in it. God is using it for something. And understand this, pauses and problems are not going to undo God's promise in your life. God made a promise to Paul that he would see Rome. He hasn't seen Rome yet. God reminds him of the promise, and that's the hope that Paul needed to endure. And we must cling to the promises that God has given to us and not to the pauses and problems that threaten our future or our stability. Not only was the promise reestablished, but it was added to. He said, and you will have all the souls on the ship. They're going to be added to you. Storms create increase in our life. And then in verse 25, Paul stands up and he says, Sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must first be cast upon a certain island. Understand this, church, is that leaders bleed and still lead. And that's important to understand because we are called to be the head and not the tail. We're to be the leaders in our society. We're to receive the authority that's been given to us by God. We're to be a city on a hill. We're to be salt and light in the world that we're living in. And even though we go through storms, we cannot cease to lead in the midst of those storms. And I'm certain that Paul was fearful. He was somewhat hopeless. He was probably extremely seasick. And yet he still stood up and said, sirs, we must move forward, though we might be cast upon a certain island. Unbelievable. Now, verses 27 through 29 give us a little bit of, uh, you know, background in terms of what happened next. But I want you to see this. 
It says in verse 30, it says that as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers that except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and they let her fall off. And so in the midst of all this, they finally have a little bit of hope that they're getting somewhat closer to land. And some of the men, the shipmen that knew the, the, the ropes and whatnot, they kind of pretended like they were going to drop anchors into the ground, but really they were letting down life wraps so that they could try to escape from the storm, to get out. They were looking for a quick fix, a way out, a part of relief, something that would take the pressure off, a pressure relief valve, if you would. And Paul stopped them quickly and he warned them and he said, listen, no, if you don't abide in the ship and go through the storm completely, you will not be saved. You cannot obtain your purpose if you cut life raft or if you take a release. You say, well, what does that represent? Listen, what do you want to do when you go through something difficult? You want to fall back on your vices, right? So for some people, that means turning to alcohol. I'm going to do something to take the pressure off. This hurts so bad, I need to numb the pain. For some, it's turning back to an old addiction, something that maybe you gave yourself to that was a help to you or a, a pressure relief valve in times past. For some, it's spending money. For some, you know that if you eat certain types of food, that's going to turn you into a windfall and you're gonna, your, your entire health system is just going to break down. For others, it's binge watching something or just spending endless time on the internet. It's, just, it's the pressure release valve. I don't want to feel the difficulty of this trial, and so I'm going to just take the load off with something. Well, here's the problem, is that if you drive out darkness with darkness, then when the light turns back on, you're going to have an addiction that you're going to have to deal with, and it's going to make the problem compounded. Paul said, unless you abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. And if God has ordained a storm for you and I to go through to fulfill his purpose and accomplish leading us to where he wants us to be, then we must go through it and feel it entirely. Otherwise, we don't get the insight and the instruction that the storm was intending to bring to us. Well, they come to a place, if you skip ahead to verse 39, it says that when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves to the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart struck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. So they see a creek, they shoot towards it, they lift the anchors, raise the sail, they let the sea drive them towards this creek, the two seas come together, the front of the ship sticks fast in the sand, the waves coming from behind push the back of the ship forward, and the ship is destroyed, even as Paul said it would happen. And it says in verse 42 that the soldier's counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they, could, which could swim, cast themselves first into the sea and then get to land. Listen, be nice to the cops, okay? Because I don't think I have to say that to this group of people, but be nice to the cops because there might come around a time where you need the cops to be nice to you, right? All the other deputies are like, let's kill all these prisoners. We're going to lose our lives over them. And the one guy's like, no, that guy, Paul, I want him alive, 
He's trustworthy. He's respectful. He's a good man. I'm going to protect him. And so he protects him. He protects Paul. And it says that the rest on boards and some on broken pieces of ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Watch this. Verse 1 of chapter 28. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. Do you know what Melita means? It means honey. See, God was bringing them to a sweet place. Only it required that they go through a storm first in order to get there. And it's important to understand that that is the purpose and the will of God to bring it. Okay, here's the conclusion. All right, is that in the eyes of the storm, the insight and instruction, that's the place where there's peace. It's the place where there's clarity. It's the place where there's instruction and direction. That's what God is leading you to. Remember again, I want to read it. Psalm 107 Verse 29, listen, it says that he makes the storm a calm. He makes the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then they are glad because they, being quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. He is leading. He's bringing you to a place. When you think about physical development, you know, you, you raise a child or you yourself, we all, we grow up, we, we start as nothing and we become these adults that have abilities, you know. In physical development, there are things that we have to learn. We have to learn confidence. We have to learn competence. There are skills and a personality that needs to develop. And these things have to happen in our life. Well, how does it happen? How does physical development happen in a human life? I, I work oftentimes with my son. He's 16 years old. And we do uh, some light construction. Sometimes uh, it can get a little bit heavier construction. And so he's kind of alongside me and he's learning alongside. And sometimes I'll give him something to do. And I'll watch him kind of wrestling with it. And he's doing it. And I'm kind of watching. You know, he doesn't, I'm not, I'm not staring at him, but I know what he's doing. And I know he's struggling. He's trying and he's struggling. He's struggling. He's struggling. And then I'll, I'll kind of sense like his thermometer going up, you know, the temperatures because he's getting a little frustrated. And, and so, you know, I don't want him to get too frustrated. So I'll go over and be like, let me see that for a minute. And I'll just take whatever and I'll just boom, boom, and it's done. And, and then his temperature goes real high because, because then he's like, oh, come on, you know, like I've been trying to like for a half an hour and you just came in and you just did it. He goes, how did you do that? And I said, here's how I do it. I hear the voice of an intense Jamaican man behind me saying, books, why you make that take so long? And there's something about that voice that thundered into my soul so many times that taught me that I need to make that thing do what I want it to do right now or I'm gonna get yelled at by an intense Jamaican. That's how I do it that fast. Here's the point, is that he put a pressure on me that pushed me to become something that I needed to be, to do something that I needed to do, and I became good at it. It was the pressure that pushed me to purpose. Do you understand? Now, spiritually, it's the same thing. God is making us wave cutters. God is making us so that we can withstand the wave of promotion or permission or popularity, or persecution, or powerful people, or the poison that Paul's about to shake off of his arm. God is committed to strengthening us. And the only way that he can strengthen us to develop in us spiritually the kind of fortitude and ability that we need to get through what's coming is that he has to allow storms in our life. 
And so Euroclidon comes and you can't avoid it. But the fruit on the other side is honey. There's a sweetness when he builds in you the strength that when the venomous beast then jumps out of the fire and clasps onto your arm and you shake it off and keep going and you're unaffected by the swelling of it and you can get things done because your bandwidth isn't being taken up by things that don't matter or that will come to nothing or by fear or anxiety, then you say, thank you, God. It was painful. I didn't like it. I lost the ship. I had to rebuild, but it was worth it. God, do what you have to do in my life. I surrender. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for your ways. We thank you for your commitment to us as our father, our shepherd, and our God. We thank you that you're the ultimate captain of the ship, that it's going to go where you ordain. Help us and give us the grace. Give us the insight and instruction that we need to take what might come, that we might live according to your purpose and your will, that we might become the men and women that you call the church that you're proud of. And you would make us to stand and to lead and to serve and to die to ourselves and to give what we are for your namesake and for your glory. We need you now more than ever. Would you please, Lord, light a fire in us? Would you open our understanding and show us, Lord, the size of your purpose and the breadth of your scope? Help us, Lord. Fill us now, we pray. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.